I invite you to open up in your copy of God's Word to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. Today we're going to look at these two verses. The title of our message is Evident Salvation, a Reason for Giving Thanks. Evident Salvation, a, a Reason for Giving Thanks. Uh, would you bow your head and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, thankful that because of the blood of Christ, we were able to enter into your presence. Uh, Father, during this uh, interesting season of our lives, Father, we just, uh, we just want to declare that we are uh, dependent upon you, that we are continuing to trust in you, in your sovereignty, in your, in your provision in our lives, uh, in your plan. Father, we, uh, we just trust you. You are, um, you are God who can be trusted in every situation, in every season of life. And so, uh, Father, help us to continue doing that, Lord. When our, when our faith is failing, Father, we ask that you would strengthen our faith. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we, we ask that you would um, help us to continue to uh, l- love you and love one another and, and serve you and serve one another as we're able to during this time. Uh, Father, we pray that you would continue to just build our, our love for you, build our, um, uh, our desire to... Live in a way that brings you honor and glory, Father. We want to continue growing in um, in our in our salvation, uh, Lord. This beautiful salvation that you've given to us, and so, uh, Father, we just we give this particular time to you as we uh, come to your Word, Father. Use it in our in our hearts and lives. Mold us, shape us. You tell us that your Word is a is a is a, a lamp into our feet, a light to our path, and and so, Father, um, show us your way. Uh, teach us, Father, and uh, we we just ask that you would. Work this passage of Scripture into our lives for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last, uh, last week we began studying this first letter to the Thessalonians. And like every letter, there's a certain structure to that letter. Uh, in verse 1 of this letter, we, we saw this, this structure of, um, of, of who the letter is coming from, who the writers are, who the letter is going to. And then third, a, a very short greeting, grace to you and peace. Now, as we move into verse 2, we see the fourth part of the opening, which was somewhat standard uh, for letters in this day and time, uh, which is a, is a, a thanksgiving. Uh, let me give you a summary statement for today, and you can be writing it down if you're taking notes uh, while we continue looking at the context of this passage. Here's your summary statement. God is deserving of thanks for providing salvation, which produces a new way of life in all who are believers in Jesus. God is deserving of thanks for providing salvation, which produces a new way of life for all who are believers in Jesus. Now, verses 2 through 10 fall into a category of verses for which the Apostle Paul is known. And my my title for this category of uh, verses is, Where Do You Put the Punctuation? That's what I call this, this, uh, this type of, of, of writing of Paul's. Uh, here's what I mean by that. Have you ever had trouble in writing um, when it comes to writing run-on sentences? Uh, maybe you're in school now or maybe you're not and you still struggle with that. Uh, this, this thing where you, you, your sentence goes on and on and on and on. Some of you maybe have trouble talking in run-on sentences. 
You start out talking about something and before you ever take a breath, you're already on the, the fourth or fifth topic and the other person you're talking to hasn't even had a chance to say a word. Now, I know that some of you are thinking about giving your spouse a look right now, but I would uh, suggest that you not do that uh, for your own uh, well-being. But anyways, back to the text. Sometimes Paul's writings are kind of like that. He, he, he just writes in this long run on sentence and verses two through ten in chapter one of first thessalonians is no exception paul uh, spends these verses providing evidence from the lives of, of the thessalonians to support the claim that they have been saved and belong to god's people and yet paul seems to combine this with the standard thanksgiving section in the opening of a letter and so it's a little bit hard to figure out where it, where he pauses to, to take a breath Today, we're just going to look at these uh, first two verses of this section, verses 2 and 3. And as we do, I want to share with you two statements that will hopefully lead us to live in thankfulness to God and in service for God. And so, uh, look in your copy of God's Word, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly, constantly mentioning you in our prayers Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. First statement today we see is this. Salvation is God's work, so give thanks to Him. Salvation is God's work, so give thanks to Him. We see this in verse 2. As we move into this fourth part of the opening of Paul's letter to the church of the Thessalonians, we see that he is giving thanks. That's, that's obvious here. And this was not unusual for a letter in, in the first century. Other writers, both Christians and non-Christians, often included a word of thanks in the opening of the letters they wrote. But just like we saw last week, how the gospel changes even the, the greeting of a letter here we see that the gospel impacts the thanksgiving section of Paul's letter to the Thessalonian believers. You see, here and in all of Paul's letters, which include a thanksgiving section in the opening, Paul always directs the thanks to God. Now, as we'll see here in this passage, he's definitely thankful for the Thessalonians. Paul loves them deeply. Paul rejoices in the salvation of the Thessalonians. It is their new way of life stemming from the salvation God has given them that has grabbed his attention and prompts his thanksgiving. But even though the Thessalonians are a major part of his thanksgiving, Paul's thanksgiving is not directed toward them, but toward God. And as we'll see in the first section of this letter, even in the weeks to come, Paul is very excited about the salvation of the Thessalonians and especially how their lives now are giving evidence to the fact that they have been saved. In just a moment, we're going to look at a sort of overview of this evidence in verse three. And then later on in, uh, in our study of First Thessalonians, in verses four through 10, we'll see more specifics of this change, a changed belief, a changed attitude, a changed purpose, a changed worship, a changed motivation and a changed destination. But but Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy, they never thank the Thessalonians for this great work of salvation that has taken place in them. They don't. They never thank the Thessalonians for reorienting their lives. 
They never thanked the Thessalonians for undergoing an inward transformation resulting in an outward change of lifestyle. Those things happen, but they don't thank the Thessalonians for it. Why is that? Well, Paul and his companions never thanked the Thessalonians for their salvation because they did not do it. The Thessalonians did not do it. The thanks goes to the one responsible for doing the work to make it happen. Paul and his companions here give credit to the one to whom credit is due. Let's say that your best friend gets a a rare lung disease. Every breath is a struggle and her face grimaces to breathe. And so she, she, she has to go into the hospital for this extensive surgery. And after the surgery is over, the, the surgeon uh, invites you to come into the recovery room. And as you walk in, you immediately notice a difference in your friend. Where once she was struggling to breathe, now she is sitting up and she's taking deep breaths of air with a smile on her face. The change is evident. It's obvious a transformation has taken place. She is a totally different person now. And so you, you jump with excitement. You are filled with thankfulness. You, you run over to give her a hug. You tell her how excited you are for her. You tell her that you love her. You tell her that you are happy for her. But you don't tell her thank you. Why? Well, because she didn't do the work to bring about the transformation. Instead, you turn to the surgeon, to the other doctors and nurses there in the room, standing there beside the bed, and you say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Why? Because they did the work to bring about the transformation. Paul thinks back to the change that he saw take place in the lives of the Thessalonian believers. And since then, he's heard the reports of their transformation. He is excited for them. He loves them. In chapter 2, verse 20, he says that they are his glory and his joy, but he doesn't thank them for changing. Why? Because they didn't change themselves. They didn't transform themselves. They didn't save themselves. Instead, Paul turns to God and says, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Why? Because God did the work of changing the Thessalonian believers. God did the work of transforming them. God did the work of saving them. The prophet Jonah said, salvation belongs to the Lord. Remember the word grace in verse 1? God's people are recipients of undeserved favor. And so Paul and Silvanus and Timothy give thanks to God. Friend, if you are saved today and you can look at your life and see evidence of salvation, then give thanks to God. But don't just thank God for your salvation. Thank God for the salvation of others. That's what these three men are doing. Always, constantly mentioning you you in our prayers is what they say. Their thankfulness to God for the change that he has brought about in the lives of the Thessalonians is prompting them to pray and give thanks to God, not for their own salvation, but for the salvation of the Thessalonians. Church, I wonder, when was the last time our prayers were filled with thanksgivings to God for the work of salvation and evidence of salvation we have witnessed in the lives of others? Before we start picking and choosing who we are going to remember before the Lord, as this passage says, notice that these men remembered 
all of the Thessalonian believers. They didn't play favorites. They didn't say, well, you know, Susie seemed really on fire for the Lord. We can thank God for the work that he has done in her life. But George, well, he really has a lot to work on in his life. It's, it's kind of hard to be excited for him and his salvation. No, if you've been saved, then you've been saved. They knew some of the believers had some areas of their lives that still needed to be brought into submission to the Lordship of Christ. Maybe some that were pretty obvious. And they're going to address some of these matters of correction, these things that need to be corrected later on in this letter. But they're still overjoyed and full of thanksgiving to God that all the believers have believed. That all of the believers are showing evidence of salvation. They give thanks to God for all of the Thessalonian believers. One other thought before we move on. Perhaps it's not merely the substance of our prayers that need work, but also the priority of prayer in our lives that needs adjusting. Spending time in prayer is simply a given for Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. Listen, when you have entered into such a personal relationship with Almighty God that you can call Him both God and Father in the very same sentence and speak of coming before Him, why would you not want to take advantage of this privilege of prayer? So we learn in verse 2 that salvation belongs to God. So give Him thanks. Now, let's move on to verse 3. Verse 3 expands upon the reason that Paul and his companions are giving thanks to God. It's not merely that God has saved them, but that they see evidence of salvation. It's not that they just say, oh yeah, we we know that you trusted in Jesus to save you, but, but we're giving thanks that we can see evidence of salvation in your life. Really, the rest of this section, verses 3 through 10, remember this long run on sentence, uh, that, that I mentioned earlier, this, this section provides us with evidences of the salvation of the Thessalonians. Uh, verse 3 seems to be more of an overview of this transformation, uh, what that looks like in their lives, while verses 4 through 10 will give us more specifics. And we'll look at those verses later. Again, it's difficult to know where to divide up this opening sentence or two that makes up verses 2 through 10. But I think verse 3 is definitely closely attached to Paul's thanksgiving that we find in verse 2. Paul can give thanks to God for the Thessalonian believers' active implementation of new virtues that have been brought about by their salvation. Truth number two that we see in this passage is this. Salvation produces new virtues, so actively implement them. Salvation produces new virtues in our lives, so actively implement them. This letter was one of the first, if not the first of the letters of Paul, which are included in the New Testament. And so for the first time in Paul's New Testament writings, he summarizes the Christian life with a well-known triad of virtues, faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope. One of the reformers called these three a brief definition of true Christianity. A brief definition of true Christianity. I would agree with that. Paul would go on to use these, uh, these three virtues to describe the Christian life in six more of his New Testament letters. Uh, let me read just a few of these instances to you just to emphasize the role that these three virtues play in helping summarize the Christian life. 
Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 5 through 6. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. There's our third one. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And of course, probably and probably most famously, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. So now faith. Hope and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. You can also see this triad of Christian virtues in Romans chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. Colossians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. And 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. These are important. But while we see these three important virtues here in 1 Thessalonians, they are actually being used to qualify three other words. Notice that Paul doesn't merely thank God for their faith, love, and hope. He thanks God for their work of faith, for their labor of love, and for their steadfastness of hope. The emphasis here is on the active nature of these virtues. Faith, love, and hope are not just nice words to hang on in a picture on our wall, or to put in a song, or to wear on a t-shirt. These are virtues given by God which drive us to action. We don't earn them, for they are the result of God's work of salvation. However, we are to implement them in our lives once they have been freely given to us by God. Let's look at each of these three in turn. First, Paul thanks God for their work of faith. Paul thanks God for their work of faith. What does work of faith mean? Let's start with what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean faith in works. This phrase is not to be confused with the false gospel of a works-based salvation. We can read the Apostle Paul writing in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, where he says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Here Paul in 1 Thessalonians is agreeing with James, who said that faith without works is dead. Paul is expressing thankfulness to God for the Thessalonians' work, which is being produced by faith, not work, which is producing faith. When we think about what faith is, we can go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And if we continued reading in chapter 11 of Hebrews, we would see example after example, not just of people who had faith, but of people whose faith was evident in the choices that they made and in the work into which they invested their lives. Just for instance, by faith, Abel offered a right sacrifice. By faith, Enoch walked with God in a world full of people who were rejecting God. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham left his home country to go to the place that God said he would show him. By faith, Sarah believed she would have a child in her old age. And the list goes on and on and on. According to God's word, saving faith means resting in the finished work of Christ on the cross as sufficient payment for your sin. In such a way that God will now forgive you and accept you based on the sacrifice of his son. 
This isn't just faith in whatever. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the text says. Genuine faith in Jesus results in genuine works for Jesus. Perhaps Paul is thinking here about the missionary work of the Thessalonians, of which he will commend them for in chapter 1, verse 8. Perhaps he's thinking about their work of love and service, which he will commend them for in chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. Perhaps here he's thinking about their work of enduring persecution, of which he will commend them in chapter 1, verse 6. But whatever specific work or works he is thinking of, Paul has seen the Thessalonians' faith produce work for the kingdom of God. Their faith was active. Christian, is your faith active? Are you living by faith each day in the choices you make? You say you have faith in Jesus, but is that faith leading you to live in submission to Him in every area of your life? Is faith something you just say that you have? Or is it something others can see in your life because you are actively implementing the faith that God has given to you? Second, Paul thanks God for their labor of love. Their labor of love. Upon first glance, this action word may may seem like a repeat of the first one. Work and labor sound like two different words that say the same thing. But while they're definitely related, the word labor here specifically points to a type of work which requires extraordinary effort and self-sacrifice. So so here Paul is thanking God, not just that the Thessalonians feel love, but that they are choosing to be motivated by love to put forth great amounts of effort and sacrifice for the good of others. The, the meaning here is labor or work requiring strenuous effort which springs forth from love. So often, we view love simply as an emotion. I feel love towards you or I feel love by you, But that's not what this is. To use the Greek word here, agape, this agape love um, in the Bible is not simply an emotion. This love is an act of the will. It's not a fuzzy feeling, but a God-given determination to act for the good of another, even when it is hard and costly. Where does this love come from? It comes from God. Scripture says that God is love. What does this love look like? It looks like a man who never did anything wrong, hanging on a cross in order to pay the penalty for our wrongdoing, choosing to allow himself to be killed in our place. For he was not just a man, but he was also God. I mean, God, he could have stopped this brutal death at any point. So it was his choice to love that kept him there, not the choice of the soldiers who put them there. That is this agape love of God. God's word says it this way in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. No, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
But, but you see, this, this love is not just God's labor of love for us, but it's a labor of love which transforms us in such a way that we then imitate that same love by laboring for others. That passage in 1 John that I was just reading, it continues this way. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then if we were to turn back a chapter in 1 John to chapter 3, we would find these words. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. One writer put it this way. When this love comes to a man, he is faced with a challenge he cannot ignore. Once he comes to see that God is like that, that God loves as a very part of his very nature, that God loves in a way which means Calvary, he must make a decision. Either he yields to the divine agape to be transformed by it, to be remade in the, in the divine image, to see men in a measure as God sees them, or he does not. And if he does not, in that lies his condemnation. He has shut himself up to his lovelessness. But those who yield themselves to God are transformed by the power of the divine agape so that they are content to give themselves in the service of others. Paul thanks God that this is what the Thessalonians have done. Christian, are you laboring in love for others? Is your salvation producing within you a love which manifests itself in self-sacrificial work for the good of others, regardless of whether you are feeling love for them? If it's not, then it's not a genuine salvation that you have. Are you laboring in love towards your spouse, towards your children, towards your parents, towards your neighbors, towards your, towards your boss, towards your coworker, your teacher, your classmate? your brother or sister in Christ? Are we laboring in love for one another? Is love something that you just say that you have? Or is it something others can see in your life because you are actively implementing the love that God has given to you? Third, we see here Paul gives thanks to God for their steadfastness of hope. Remember, faith, love, and hope. Third, Paul gives thanks to God for their steadfastness of hope. And once again, we see a virtue tied to an action. A virtue tied to an action. The Thessalonians do not merely hope or have hope. They have a hope from which the action of steadfastness blossoms. You could put it this way, steadfastness inspired by hope. Or steadfastness which stems from hope. The steadfastness, this word could also be translated endurance. But what we need to note here is it's not a passive endurance. It's not a passive steadfastness. A few days ago, one of my sisters uh, gave birth to her second child, which happens to be the first boy born in our family since I was born. You see, I have three younger sisters. I have four daughters. I have two nieces. I think I got all of that right. But now I have a nephew. 
And they told us uh, that when they were headed to the hospital, we got word that they were on the way there. And, and so then we just had to wait to hear the news that the baby had been born. And this required patience on our part, but it didn't require any action on our part. We had hope of hearing the news that a healthy baby boy had been born, but that hope didn't lead to any real action on our part. We exercised a sit and wait kind of patience, but that's not the kind of patient endurance that this kind of hope produces here in this passage. Now, that's the way that we were waiting. However, that's not how my sister was exercising patience. It wasn't a sit and wait type of patience for her. She was actively enduring. Her hope in the birth of a little boy manifested itself in active endurance, which refused to give up throughout that delivery process. Her patience was a working kind of patience. She had to endure pain and suffering, but her hope at what was coming, that beautiful baby boy led her to actively endure through the pain. That's the kind of steadfastness or endurance that we see here in this passage. The hope we have as Christians manifests itself in what one person described as patient fortitude in the face of opposition. Another writer described it this way, not the resignation of the passive sufferer so much as the fortitude of the stout-hearted soldier. A third person described this steadfastness of hope this way, it is persistent zeal. It rules out discouragement and goes forward no matter how hopeless the situation But what is this hope that would lead us to actively push through the opposition that we face as Christians and continue serving the Lord even when it is difficult, even when persecution is what comes our way? What kind of hope is this? It is the sure hope that my sins are forgiven because Jesus took the wrath of God toward my sin when he died upon the cross. It is the sure hope that death is not the end because Jesus defeated death when he rose up from the grave. It is the sure hope that one day he is going to return just as he ascended back to heaven. He will return and he will take me to be with him forever. As Christians, our hope is found in the reality of the fact that Jesus is alive even though he died. And therefore, though we die, yet shall we live. That is our hope, Christian. I know next week is Easter, but Easter is just a once a year man-made holiday to celebrate, at least in its Christian form, something that we as Christians are to be celebrating every single day of the year. Eternal hope because Jesus died and is alive. It is this hope that drove the Thessalonians to continue living lives of works, good works produced by faith, to continue laboring out of love for others, even when they were persecuted for doing so, when they were persecuted. Christian, is your hope showing itself in a God-given determination to keep living for God no matter what comes your way? Is your hope being manifested by refusing to stop and complain about your circumstances? Is your hope visible in the way you keep battling against sin and in the way you keep serving God even when the world tries to push you in the other direction? Is your hope 
something you just say that you have? Or is it something that others can see in your life because you are actively implementing the hope God has given to you? And just in case you haven't noticed here, the centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ in these virtues and the actions produced by them, let's make sure we see that. Notice this phrase, in our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no genuine faith. There is no genuine love. There is no genuine hope apart from being in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me closely. If you have not believed in Jesus for salvation, then you are not in the Lord Jesus Christ. And any attempt at living a life characterized by works of faith, labors of love and steadfastness of hope will be in vain. Today, if you have not received God's work, God's work, not your work, God's work of salvation, then that's the most important step that you can take right now. You need you need to give your life to Jesus. Believing that He is who He says He is and that He died in your place taking your sin upon Himself. And you can do that right now. Confess your sin to God. And you confess to God that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. That you believe that His death was enough to satisfy God's wrath against your sin. Once you have been saved, though, your life will look different. Your life will be characterized by these virtues. Faith, love, and hope. Active in your life. Making a difference in the way that you live. Your life will be changed. And there will be reason to give thanks to God. So there you have it. Three simple words of virtue. Three simple words of action produced by these virtues. And one incredible reason to give continual thanks to God. What's that reason? A life that has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus. A life set on a new trajectory by God's work of salvation. Have you been saved? Then if so... Is the life you are living one in which someone could say, wow, I'm so excited to see the difference the gospel has made in your life. When I look at you, I just have to say, God, thank you for what you've done in this person's life. Is your life a Reason to give thanks to God? Can you see the salvation that He's given to you? I hope and pray that all of our lives give evidence of salvation in such a way that God is honored and glorified as we look at one another and we say, Thank you, God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, 
two verses of Scripture loaded with important truths for our lives. Father, You are the God who works salvation and so You are the One to whom we give thanks. I don't thank myself for the salvation that I have and I don't think, thank another person for the salvation that he or she has. God, we thank You for the salvation that You have given us and the salvation that we see in our lives. And Father, we, we certainly should be able to see this salvation. Father, as we, as, as we produce in our lives this, this, these works of faith and this labor of love and the steadfastness of hope, Father, these virtues would not just be things that we say or sing about, Father, but that this faith, hope, and love, Lord, would be things that, that, that actually change who we are on a daily basis, Lord, that, that they would impact the decisions that we make, the way we treat one another, the way we endure to the end. Father, would You impress this Word, Your Word, upon our hearts in this moment. Father, if there's someone who needs to be saved, Father, I pray that right now they would turn from their sin and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Father, if there's an area of our life where we see that we're not producing this, this, this faith and this, this love and this, this hope in our lives, Father, we're not implementing these things that You've given to us Father, I pray that we would repent. That we would ask for Your help. By Your grace, that our salvation would be clearly seen in the way that we live our lives. For Your glory, God. For the glory of the One who has so graciously saved us. For the glory of Jesus Christ, whose blood was shed on Calvary's cross for the remission of our sins. Father, we give You thanks. May our lives be a reason for giving You thanks. And everything that we say and do, may we give evidence of the great salvation that You have so freely given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.